Your film is now ready to be shown. Good morning. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. A little more than a year ago, in the first article announcing the release of the Facebook files, the documents brought out of the company by whistleblower Francis Haugen, the Wall Street Journal's Jeff Horwitz reported on Crosscheck, a Facebook system that exempted high-profile users from some or all of the platform's rules. The program shields millions of elites from normal content moderation enforcement. While the existence of such a program was known, its scale was, and perhaps still is, shocking. Following the journal's reporting and subsequent concern in the public, Facebook, now Meta, President of Global Affairs Nick Clegg, announced the company would request a policy advisory opinion from its independent oversight board. Fourteen months later, the oversight board has completed its review and published its opinion. Writing in The Atlantic, Kate Plonick, a professor at St. John's University School of Law and a fellow at the Information Society Project at Yale Law School, and someone who has written extensively about the oversight board, said the decision, quote, gives perhaps one of the most complete and exhaustive reviews of how the black box of content moderation appeals works for elite users, and she sees the board's recommendation as, quote, a call to establish norms like those that have long existed in journalism, creating a figurative and sometimes literal wall between the business and content sides of a newsroom. To talk more about the opinion, the cross-check system, and the problem of content moderation more generally, I'm joined by one member of the Oversight Board and one outside observer who answered the board's call for opinions about the cross-check system. My name is Nika Dodd, and I am a member of uh, Matters Independent Oversight Board, uh, and I'm also a founder of Digital Rights Foundation, uh, which is a digital rights organization based in Lahore, Pakistan, and I'm in Lahore at the moment. I'm Chris Riley. I'm a senior fellow for Internet Governance at the R Street Institute. I'm also a Distinguished Research Fellow at the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania, and I am based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I want to welcome both of you today to talk a little bit about this Oversight Board opinion on CrossCheck, long incoming, and looking forward to kind of digging into it a little bit. But perhaps, uh, Chris, could I perhaps rely on you to uh, remind us why we're here, the sort of history of this thing and how we learned about it? Uh, Well, the public became aware of the system when I did, for that matter, uh, with the first of the articles from the Wall Street Journal referencing the papers that Frances Hogan had brought out of Facebook in her uh, whistleblower period there. Um, And it it was a detailed examination of this system known as the cross-check system publicly, which in the advisory board has a a more formal name of uh, ERSR. I forget what that acronym stands for and, and didn't write it down in my notes, forgive me. But this this cross-check system, as it's publicly known, was designed as a sort of safety valve that followed after the automated content moderation systems that then Facebook, now Meta, has established to deal with the incredible challenges of scaling content moderation for a social platform with literal billions of users. So this system obviously raised a great deal of controversy when it was publicly revealed, because it involved individuals. It was designed around individuals who were considered to be of particularly heightened risk of having their their content be targeted for political reasons and accidentally taken down by the system 
resulting in excessive harm. We have since learned, uh, thanks to the Oversight Board's work here, that there is a separate system that also functions after content moderation that is not built around individuals, but rather pieces of content that are identified to be of particular risk here. Um, so just taking a step back, we know automation is a big part of content moderation at scale. It sort of makes sense that there might be lots of layers of review and systems afterwards, but the existence and the nature and the mechanics of this particular system were not well known, came out to a great degree of controversy. Um, and Facebook and the Oversight Board moved fairly quickly to engage the Oversight Board's mechanisms to conduct a review of this process and to issue an advisory opinion to go back to Facebook to make recommendations for how to improve it. Early response secondary review is- Thank uh, you. The, <laughs> the yeah, you got it, sorry. There you go. Nagat, I, I want to start also with you just you know, this didn't start without controversy. I mean, essentially, the board writes in its materials related to the uh, opinion, once again, that Facebook was uh, not fully forthcoming about this system, essentially attempted to kind of sweep it under the rug a bit. I think what uh, what Chris just mentioned, I think um, it's important to talk about the background fully, how it started for us. So we accepted a request from company to review cross-check program uh, following the disclosures of the Wall Street Journal uh, in October 2021. This came after the board called out Facebook in September saying that they had not been fully forthcoming in its response, as you have just mentioned, and on some occasions failed to provide relevant information to the board. However, the board first became aware of CrossCheck in early 2021 when deciding its case on the suspension of uh, former U.S. President Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump's accounts. And company did not previously mentioned cross-check in its initial referral or uh, materials sent to us. So let's talk a little bit about the review itself. It's been, of course, quite some time since September uh, 2021. Uh, What did the Oversight Board do in in its review of cross-check? I think if if we can talk a little bit about the definition of like how this program basically works, uh, and then I'll I'll talk about how basically we reviewed and gave our recommendations. The ERS are the two basically mechanisms uh, through which the program works. Meta describes it as a program that sort of provides additional levels of review for certain content that their internal system flags as violating via automation or human review with the goal to uh, prevent or minimize the highest risk false positive. Uh, And how they basically define false positive is as the mistaken removal of content that does not violate the content policies that establish what is allowed on Facebook and Instagram. The two mechanisms that it work is one is early response secondary review and journal secondary review. Early response secondary review is selects a list of users and entities whose posts are entitled the benefit of extra level of review, uh, despite the content uh, identified as violating of community standards. And GSR, general secondary review, which actually was fully only implemented in 2022, may apply to any content posted on the platform, regardless of the poster based on an algorithmic uh, determination. Through this process, I mean, it's, it was a rigorous process for us as a board to unpack uh, this uh, complex system and, and get to know about the system more. We were, uh, uh, there were back and forth 
communication and meetings with the company. We had, um, I don't exactly remember the number of questions, but but we sent several questions to the company, had uh, several meetings with them uh, to actually get to know the system more, had four regional stakeholder conversations uh, with external stakeholders to sort of you know, know what, what basically relevant stakeholders think about the system. And based on the information that we had, we identified the gaps in the system. And what we noticed as a board is that what company basically uh, is saying uh, around the system uh, is basically prioritizing the human rights commitment and the company values is currently neither designed nor implemented in a manner that meets platform stated human rights commitments and values to comply with the matters stated human rights commitments and company values, we uh, identified that the system basically should be structured substantially differently the way it is structured and designed right now. We found out violating content often left up for days and sometimes even weeks and months. I mean, in one case, it was basically more than seven months where the harmful content was up on the platform. And the first and foremost thing that we found out was basically the program overly prioritizes business concerns and provides extra protection to certain users selected largely according to the business uh, interests of the company. And I do just want to kind of go to that language and and sort of repeat it. You write that while Meta told the board that Crosscheck aims to advance Meta's human rights commitments, we found that the program appears more directly structured to satisfy business concerns. The board understands that Meta is a business, but by providing extra protection to certain users selected largely according to business interests, Crosscheck allows content which would otherwise be removed quickly to remain up for a longer period, potentially causing harm. So essentially, and I don't want to be too simplistic about this, but despite what Meta has said about the sort of utility efficacy of this system, what they've done is created a system to essentially prevent any kind of deleterious effect from the removal of some prominent person's content. There are lots of layers to this. Uh, and going back to my, my time for many years working at Mozilla, I will cite one of the principles of the Mozilla Manifesto is related to the value and the importance of having private sector businesses operating parts of the internet and building software for the internet. So just to double down on this, like while I'm sure there are many people who believe the internet would be much better if it were entirely run by nonprofit entities and infrastructures, I, I don't believe that. I don't think it would scale or be as efficient as it is today. And so there's a, a deep balance that needs to be maintained here of businesses that need and and have the right to protect their business interests as the oversight board properly noted but yet we also need them to protect human rights <laughs> and it's one of the reasons why a theme running through the the comments that i wrote on behalf of our street to the oversight board in their consideration of this matter emphasized a search for balance not the elimination of bias right when we approach the framing of difficult questions like this from a too polarized or too strong point of view, we never get anywhere. So the question is not, are they allowed to, or shouldn't be, I should say, whether Meta is allowed to engage in behavior through a system like this that helps protect their business interests, but rather, how many resources are they also putting in to using this system to protect fundamental human rights? Because it also can do that. And the takeaway that I got more than anything else from the Oversight Board's excellent opinion on this was, 
they need to put a lot more capacity into the portions of the system that are able to be used to protect journalists and civil society organizations and others who are at just as much risk, if not more, of suffering the harms of false positive takedowns from content moderation as the politicians and the business partners and others who are more often protected in practice. I think I wanted to mention, you know, some of the flaws that we found in the system and and actually echoing what Chris uh, has already mentioned. uh, The first and foremost for us was unequal treatment of users. There was a clear criteria for business partners and government leaders to access the program, but less clear paths for journalists and civil society organizations or users whose content is likely to be more important from a human rights perspective, as Chris has just mentioned. I have already mentioned this, but delayed removal of violating content. On average, company takes over five days to reach a decision on content from users on its cross-check list. But content identified as breaking Meta's rules is at times left up when it's most viral and could cause harm for several weeks and months. Another very important uh, thing that we found out and a flaw uh, was basically failure to track core metrics, you know, so insufficient measures to check the effectiveness of cross-check, whether the program is actually working or not working or what are the gaps there. So it is difficult to assess if the program is meeting its core objectives of producing correct content moderation decisions. That's basically lacking the, and then and fourth, uh, a flaw and the foremost for myself is basically lack of transparency around how the system works. Company has provided very limited information to the public and its users about the program. And users are actually not informed that they are on the cross-check list, nor are the procedures for creating and auditing these um, lists are shared publicly. And it is also unclear whether entities that continuously post violating content are kept on these lists. So these were the major flaws that we identified in the in the system. I'm so glad that that you went and got to the to the transparency point, which I think really is the clearest and strongest takeaway from this cycle. Right, this problem started with challenges in transparency, including to the oversight board and to the public. And the the most important part, I think, of the takeaway is the value of providing more transparency. So I see this as operating in three dimensions of time, before, during, and after. Uh, The before transparency means providing some information up front about what the criteria are for inclusion of individuals in a program such as ERSR, and then more about what that means. What do you get if you're included in this program? What do others get if they're included in this program? Just to help build trust with the general public, with people who are users of this system still. I think this is a theme that runs throughout modern day conversations of platform responsibility. And there's just so much value that can be gained in providing this kind of upfront transparency. During, as you mentioned, transparency during the process, real-time indications, both to the individuals included and to others, as well as what content is being captured within this. One thing I note that I don't think was fully developed in the Oversight Board's opinion, it was nodded at perhaps, but not fully developed, is that there may need to be exceptions to this. Right. There may need to be certain individuals or some pieces of content in some situations, perhaps due to legal obligations, where real time notifications of transparency is not appropriate. In that event, that kicks us back to the before period and describing the program and one that says in certain situations, we won't indicate that something is being protected. And here's why we might not do that. 
It's another place where just additional layers of transparency can really help building trust. And then after transparency, as you noted, metrics for impact, including both improvements in accuracy that can result from the use of the system, as well as importantly, increase in delay from taking content down by hand where it turns out that the system should not have allowed that content to stay up. I think that if we see improvements across these factors, uh, a, a lot could change. And I'm not gonna claim that that's everything, but I think that that's by far the most important part. And it's worth really spending some time thinking about that. And I'm glad we were able to dig into it. One of the things I wanted to to ask a little bit about Nigat was the idea that essentially Facebook's system is on some level overwhelmed, that there's simply not enough capacity to do the sort of review uh, that the system itself requires. So they've kind of built something that they can't service or maintain. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe to some extent, you know, when you think about the fact that uh, Facebook is trimming its sales at the moment, uh, whether you think that it will receive the resources it needs. Um, I think that's a very, uh, it's a very pertinent question, especially during the times when we are seeing uh, massive layoffs, uh, not only from Meta, but other, other platforms as well. And I'm not sure if you have seen the company's response where uh, they said that they have done tremendous amount of work in uh, in past year and devoted uh, teams and resources to improve the cross-check system while we were working on the policy advisory opinion. That's something that we are also concerned about and we are in constantly in communication with the company to uh, dedicate more resources, not just for cross-check program, but if you look, look at our other decisions and the recommendations, we have been pushing company to devote more resources, whether that's like a human in form of human review or other resources in terms of, you know, their content moderation flaws that we have identified in their community guidelines. Uh, to be very honest, Justin, I think uh, there are a couple of things that we also need to um, need to sort of keep in mind that Meta is the only company uh, that established the independent oversight board and looked into the self-regulatory mechanism. If we look at the other companies or platforms, no one has devoted so much resource to such a model where the independent entity hold them accountable the way we are holding them accountable. And everyone is actually witnessing the the kind of opinions that we are uh, uh, we are releasing or are very honest and transparent uh, policy advisory opinions. So I think that we should give them the credit that they were the ones who started it. And Given, um, uh, you know, the, our past experience with them, we, uh, throughout we have uh, given 130 recommendations so far in our, our, all our decisions and a board has a capacity to monitor the implementation of those recommendations. What we have uh, found like, through our mon- mo- monitoring of these, uh, the, the implementation of our recommendation, we have found out that 70% of the, the, those 130 recommendations partially, either partially or fully uh, have been implemented by the company or are under process. And I think we should not forget that the systems that we are looking into are structurally flawed. And uh, and that's why, you know, it took us so much time even to write this policy advisory opinion to understand the system. And I think when they're like structural problem, it will take huge amount of resources and time for the company to uh, either improve it or, you know, to redesign it. So I, uh, to be very honest, do not 
uh, I'm I'm not doubtful that the company won't look into it, but um, but we will be very transparent as a board in terms of monitoring our recommendations and the implementation of our recommendations while releasing our transparency reports on, on the implementation. I'm so glad you got into that because you teased up what I think are two of the main themes of analysis around this, completely different themes, scale and accountability. Regarding scale, nobody else works at the scale that Facebook does. Um, that gives the company incredibly vulnerable positioning and also sets it up for incredibly unrealistic expectations from outside. So just to yeah. be fair, like they have a really hard setup. I think back a lot to Mike Masnick's piece from a few years ago, what he calls his, the Masnick impossibility theorem of content moderation just doesn't scale well. Um, look at Twitter, if you need an example of that. And that's a much smaller company than, than Meta at this point. The metrics that we've discussed already in this podcast and that are so well developed in the Oversight Board's report will help at least map out where shortcomings are and motivate better allocation of resources. Clearly more balance in the geographic focus of the ERSR program would be helpful. For me, more balance and allocation of resources for GSR and not having it be sort of a second class citizen that only gets resources when ERSR is, is satisfied, which it never will be, um, would be probably even more valuable. But even there, we need more resources in, in the machine learning systems that go into that to make sure that non-English sources of harm are being captured in the appropriate way. And it's still a hard problem. Lots of challenges there, but I do think that we're making progress collectively mm -hmm. at understanding them and setting realistic expectations. Accountability is going to be in front of a lot of people's minds, because as we all know, the Oversight Board doesn't have formal authority over meta in these advisory opinions. Um, for my part, I regard this as a feature, not a bug. I think that this kind of soft law mechanism can be incredibly effective and also creates incentives for the board to be as robust as possible and not hold back, worrying about concerns that may be regarded by some as insufficiently pragmatic from an implementation perspective. Meta always has the ability of concluding that the cost benefit trade-off of a particular implementation in some specific circumstances doesn't add up. But the nature of the engagement between the bodies means that that becomes a public conversation more than it ever would have been in any other context. But giant uh, elephant in the room here is the DSA, the Digital Services Act. There aren't any binding obligations in place on the company right now. So there's nothing involved in this, in this CrossFit program. It seems like, in my opinion, not a lawyer, definitely not a European lawyer, but I don't think that we're looking at the possibility of violations of European law from anything here. But I can guarantee the European Commission is going to be looking very closely at how Meta responds to the Oversight Board's opinion and how it implements these kinds of things going forward. Um, and I think that's just a really interesting piece of this conversation that may not get enough attention. One of the things that I wanted to kind of address and perhaps uh, slightly adversarially is just the amount of time it's taken to get to this point. I mean, I recognize, as you say, Chris, that it's been robust, uh, that there's been a lot of effort, that you've talked to lots of experts. Uh, the Oversight Board has gone through a great deal of diligence. But in Nick Clegg's response from the company, there's almost a sense of, well, you know, we haven't sat still, uh, we've moved on. Uh, you know, we've already introduced changes, we've built new technology, he talks about this cross-check ranker that they're using now to try to improve matters. Is there a real problem with the sort of metabolism of the board in being able to appropriately address uh, these problems and questions as they arise? If it takes 14 or 15 months to get to a solution, and now apparently Facebook will take 90 days to respond. Was there a sense in the board of uh, 
you know, this is taking a long time or, or taking too long? Yes, Justin, there was a sense in the board that it's taking too much time and there were frustrations also, but we wanted to get this right, you know. And as I said, that the program was, it's so complex, even to just to, for us to first understand that how this program works uh, based on the information uh, that was provided to us. And we also wanted to get this right in terms of, you know, asking questions back and forth to the company, but also at the same time, you know, to uh, getting opinions of regional, you know, like different regions and users around the world. And that's why we held for regional uh, uh, external stakeholder workshops. But um as I said, our opinion basically states everything what I uh, noticed uh, and what uh, as a board, I believe we received 82 submissions and, you know, like looking into thousands of pages uh, of, you know, not only these submissions, but also the documents that we had access to. The time was definitely, it took a long time, but I think at the end of the day, the product, uh, the product that we have released is something that not only only uh, gives a clear picture to the users of the company, but also to the company itself. And no matter what company says in its response, I think it's a it's for them it's a great way to start how to redesign, restructure, make improvements in their program. As as Chris said, I'll add to that. Yeah, it it took too long. I don't know what the answer to that is because this is an incredibly complex complex question and. I think it it gets at what feels almost like existential challenges of content moderation, which is the desire of these systems to serve two masters, to be perfectly neutral and to remove all bias, which is a pairing that is patently impossible, right? So it's it's just so challenging to try to make this happen. But but the takeaway for me is that the oversight board is not now, has never been, and can never be the only mechanism of governance or oversight or conversation into the practices of Facebook or any other company in the future. It's just not structured for that. It's not capable of being structured for that. And that was never the vision for it. So if we think about how the oversight board works as as but a piece of the overall conversation, um, mm-hmm. I, I think that we're going to have that vision be made a little bit more real as we see more of the transparency and more of the audits and more of the risk assessment and mitigation practices set up by the DSA over the years to come. But right now, it all too often feels like, especially when the U.S. government has been so inactive on these issues, it feels like we've got the oversight board and nothing else. And that's not fair nor ideal on any level. Chris brought DSA and, you know, the and also like the absence of regulatory framework in some jurisdictions. I would also like to add, which I always say that global majority is mostly missing in these conversations. And I think uh, most of the narrative sort of uh, is generated from the global north. And uh, and that also kind of dictates the you know the the agenda of platforms but also governments and i and when we talk about regulatory framework for me why uh, models like oversight board or self regulatory mechanisms are so important because 
I would prefer to have such models to hold the companies accountable instead of authoritative governments bringing regulations to hold companies accountable, but at the same time, criminalize users in their jurisdictions. And that's what we have seen. And and maybe just as you you would like to think about another podcast on this, but, uh, but I think these are all the very, very relevant concerns of millions of users from jurisdictions where their own governments try to criminalize their speech in the name of holding companies accountable and making these regulatory frameworks uh, in their context. I love that you brought that up, Nigat, because it is a problem for which we don't have a, I, I don't think we have a good idea of what the structural solution is, how to bring global majority world perspectives into governance conversations like this. I mean, as as we briefly chatted at the at the beginning here, before we turned the recording on, you and I probably met at an internet governance forum a decade or so ago, and the internet governance forums are still happening. But in my opinion, those are not the places where the important normative or substantive conversations around difficult questions like these are being really developed or really, really pushed forward um, for better or for worse, because obviously the IGF has its limitations as well. If you don't mind my asking, I'd love any thoughts you have about how we make sure to have these conversations in a more inclusive way that aren't as driven by the global north. It's not going to happen in the in the um, in the next twelve months of discussions over how to implement the Digital Services Act in Europe. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. But but what are the right venues or structures or opportunities? This is of selfish interest because I want to help advocate for this as well in in my day to day work. Yeah, no, I think, Chris, this is a great question. And and I think uh, the, the, the diversity in the oversight board speaks for itself. You know, me being part of it, some other folks from Global Majority being part of it, bringing, you know, context of our, of our own jurisdictions in the deliberations, making sure that the perspective of the Global Majority is part of the decisions and the policy advisory opinions that we are making. So that's like a big example how to make sure to have diversity or, or uh, having having folks from global majority uh, so that it's not overwhelmingly uh, global north conversation but at the same time for instance you know like we 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 are now having trust and safety conversations in silicon valley uh, how many of global majority folks are there? Is it only companies, US-based companies who are there and now Europeans are coming into the conversation? So it's like European regulatory framework and US you know, companies um, uh, and how they are going to deal with the issues around content moderation. I think it's important for every stakeholder who in any who are in any power to make sure whether you know they have to spend resources to bring into those folks who can you know bring the conversation around global global majority and contextualize it. I believe context is everything, even in content moderation decisions. We cannot have one global principle around content moderation. It's so complex. That's why, you know, like when you said that it's complex and, and, and it's difficult to do it on scale because it's highly contextual. A harmful content in South Asia or in Pakistan or in India or Myanmar might not be harmful in US or Europe. So I think that's why it's important to have these voices into into this conversation. And and that's how we can make sure that the conversations are more diverse and more equal and balanced instead of, you know, Global North leading the voice uh, here. Well, as always, we're balancing equities, balancing uh, complexity and uh, hard problems. And I'm sure 
this won't be the the first of many oversight board decisions that will delve into uh, many of these types of issues and uh, leave us uh, with perhaps more questions than answers in some cases. Um, So we'll see how these things unfold. Chris, Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. That's it for this episode. I hope you'll send us your feedback. You can write to me at justin at techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones. And thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.